This is the last one in the Something in Media series. Um, I hope you've enjoyed series one. If you want series two and you find these interesting, please let me know. Drop us an email, podcast at wearestable.com. Be good to hear from you. Welcome to Something in Media, a show that tells the story of successful people in the general world of media and what it takes to make it to the very top. I'm Dave Maguire. In this episode, we welcome along the one and only Des Kelly, chief reporter and interviewer for BT Sport. Gary Lineker picked it up and made it work because he could have just been eating his sandwich while I'm doing the interviews and suddenly I throw back to him, no, and he picked it up perfectly, it was great. And if those two had messed it up, I would have looked terrible. <laughs> Award-winning columnist, national newspaper editor, radio presenter, TV presenter, it's fair to say that Des has had one hell of a career. As we'll hear, Des's stellar career in the media wasn't a given. Growing up in South London, he originally thought he'd become a teacher. But after an introduction to a local newspaper when at university, Des soon realised that journalism was his true calling in life. Des's career has gone from strength to strength and he freely admits that he never really had a plan. He's just said yes to all the opportunities that have excited him. Today, Des is recognised as one of the country's pre-eminent sports reporters. And we started off by speaking about Des's philosophies to interviews. It's the way I would approach it. If I'm talking to somebody, I try to have a conversation with them as opposed to quizzing them. It's not yeah. Frost Nixon. It's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a football match. You can get into an argument, but there are all sorts of different ways of doing it. I think the way to do it... For, that suits me is to have a conversation because there's nothing better on TV, particularly in a sterile environment such as that sort of in front of the boards, post-match interview sort of feel. It's very, very narrow parameters you can sort of work within. And uh, if you can get a laugh and have a joke or just go something a bit random, I like anything that goes somewhere else. Jack Grealish this weekend, give you an example. So he's had a great game. He comes in after the match. We want to do him on the pitch, but City don't doesn't do not want him on the pitch, which was a bit of a shame because I think you capture more atmosphere. Anyway, Jack comes in, uh, chatting away, and I'm three questions through, and it, he's buzzing. He's great chat. He's great fun. He's a nice lad. Uh, Manchester City media team and part of the coaching staff are trying to drag him out. So I'm I'm thinking, oh, we'll keep going for as long as we can, and there. Guardiola likes them all to go into the dressing room afterwards and come back out. So we're doing a quick one. But um, Jack got out of it nicely. He said, oh, I've, I've got to go now because I've got to find out how many days I've got off now. He wanted to <laughs> and it's the way he kind of got himself out of a situation to help me as well. You can, those kind of moments make it a little bit more real. You can have a proper chat with somebody. You don't have to poke the bear all the time, you know. Is that, is that informality? I don't want to say informality because it's not really as you say it's a technique but has that always been there with you or is that something you've learned oh yeah i've worked for nearly 40 years in the media so you're kind of not going to change now and it was part of the, the question when i we i started at bt well i didn't start at bt when i started at bt after many years in newspapers and radio it was to do a, a late night sort of american style show magazine show after the first year bt sort of chopped pretty much all the studio programs and went into live rights so they asked me to do the interviewing the, the reporting job and i said this i'd like to do it if i can do it this way because i see it I, I understand other channels have different ways of doing it they ask very short quick questions and it's always a question and i used to get people sending old old hacks 
from bygone days say, you, you're not asking a question. And sometimes I'm absolutely not. I'm reinforcing something he said or saying something that I believed from the game and then it's, it, I don't have to challenge them. Then you have a chat. And that's always been that way. Sometimes it goes wrong, but not very often. And after a number of years doing the job, you kind of get to know these people. And I know that, that Pep Guardiola is going to be really short pre-match. There's no point keeping him there for long because he doesn't really like doing it. It's something that knocks his focus. Jürgen will chat all the way through the day, right up to one hour before kickoff. Then he, he's, he wants to get out of there quite quickly. He's got other things to do. So you kind of, you kind of know the people. And uh, after a time, and, I used, and before I was doing the TV, I was obviously involved in sport involved in newspapers and so I knew it a lot of the people anyway it it helps sometimes because you don't feel like they're going to ambush them, ambush them you know what I mean that sort of thing so you can have a conversation but let's let's go back to um where it all started for you I, I believe you grew up in South London in my research shows Mitchum me. Mitchum I got Wimbledon is that is that close? Oh, I went to school in Wimbledon that's because it was um Irish Catholic family and that was the nearest Catholic school so no, I was I was I was in the posh bit. I was in the I was in Mitcham. No offence to anyone who's still in Mitcham, but mm, <laughs> I don't miss you. Good memories growing up in terms of your household, mum, dad. My dad was a foreman in a in a plastics factory. My mum uh, worked in the sweets factory as well, and then she was a nurse in the Mayday Hospital. So yeah, it, it was it was um, how can I put it. I had no idea what I was going to do. I, I thought I'd probably drift into teaching, but I really wanted to be in a band. I mean, I, uh, I took a year out to play in bands and things like that. It was all good fun. What age were you when you did that? Oh, that's uh, after sixth form. So I did my sixth form and A-levels and then took a year off to try and become a rock star. Didn't really, I didn't really try try that hard. It's, but the problem was I didn't really know what I was going to do. Yeah. So I, was, I ended up thinking I was going to be a teacher, which would have been a catastrophe because I'm the most impatient man in the world. So I thought, so luckily things changed. And so do you, you had a, obviously a creative spark then at school. Uh, and I thought you, I did, yeah, yeah. Well, you obviously did with music and, um, you know, looking around to see the guitar and there was music when we were playing when he came in. So it's still there. But uh, was sport also a part of that? Yeah, loved playing football. Wasn't great at it, but very competitive. It wasn't sport that got me into covering BT Sport. It was... How can I put this in a very short way? I'm, I don't have any family in the media, right? The easiest way... Everyone says, how do you get into the media? The easiest way to get into the media is to have a parent or two and nepotism rules. It works perfectly. And those people get a foot in the door and they get a chance to then stay. But people like me don't get those opportunities because we're an Irish immigrant family and we don't get the... Uh, Jessica's and Giles's of the world get the, don't get the little red carpet treatment. To, uh, they jump the queue for for um, work placements, that kind of thing. So what happened to me was a friend of mine who, again, wasn't particularly connected. He was working on the Richmond and Twickenham Times Group in West London, which was owned by David Dimbleby. So he was that family is, is royalty in, in media terms, particularly in that era. And he managed to get this placement there. And he'd failed his degree a year early. So he was working and my mate was working and I was still doing my degree. So I filled in with for him when he was on holiday and they offered me a job. What, what kind of job? What kind of uh, work were you It doing? was a proper, I mean proper, very proper, <laughs> old fonts, everything else, broadsheet newspaper 
which categorised and detailed everything that happened in the area. Every court case, everything. It was a paper of record for the West of London. It was very impressive for, for its um, time and its workforce, and, its, and the people who worked there all moved through it. And he offered me, him and Malcolm Richards offered me a job for immediately. And I said, no. And what they did, which was pretty special, was uh, they said, we'll hold a job for you. And when you finish your degree, you can, you can. So, which was great. But it was a disaster for my last year at uni. It was just like, okay, I've got a free pass. Uh, so <laughs> I went in there and I was, I was doing news. And then uh, Alex used to do the, Alex Spink is, is uh, still in journalism. He's a great lad. He was doing the sport. I was doing the news and within a few months redesigning the paper, yeah. running it. It was great. Yeah. It was an amazing ground, uh, breeding ground. So did you have any formal training or was it just literally training no, on I was, the job? I was doing English and that was my... Yeah. There was no media studies. Yeah. There was no yeah. uh, teaching you how to do it other than getting absolutely wrong when you do something bad on the newspaper. Yeah. My first gig was... The, the borough's biggest sunflower, and then and then <laughs> genuinely was, and then the second was a, a, a horrible house fire. You had to turn up and go in and interview everybody. That it was great. It was all new to me, and I knew exactly from that moment I really want to do this. Yeah. And so, uh, how how long were you there for? Oh, uh, no, not long enough because they all got very upset because you, you you change people and change the newspaper, and then you disappear somewhere else. So I I don't know two couple of years probably two and a half I couldn't afford to stay there any longer because <laughs> you didn't get paid much so I went to Hater's Sports Agency in Fleet Street and that's that was a sports specialist place and everyone's been through that that is your that is the mother load for a load of people Mark Samuel's there I mean I could give you a long list all the way back to people like Richard Keyes you know right. and, and so Jerry Cox still runs it what, so what is uh, that is it an agency so you for instance there are Fair Fake Cup final third round. They can't. How many staffers do you have? We had a lot more back then, obviously. Mm-hmm. But no, you, they just you farm out stuff to agencies, local state agencies. Yeah. They still exist, but the digital digital age has taken away a lot of it. For instance, I would be I would be doing an FA Cup third round. We were really bored here, so it would be Brentford against Fulham, which is a nice little game back then. Now it's a, obviously a slightly bigger game. Uh, but you would have 12 orders to file to 12 newspapers. Wow. So you, you had to work very quickly and, and process it. It's almost impossible. And you had to phone the copy in. Uh, from... you're, not, you're not talking about the same article for 12 different papers. You're talking about different... Yes. Differently to, what, written... what, I, what we used to do is, is split it into three, which is the sort of... You'd have, you'd have the tabs, then you have the middle market and then the poshies. But so it's, it, yeah, so it set challenges for you. And you, you, got, you got thrown in at the deep end. Yeah. And if you... And this is what I would say to anybody who's listening to this. If you get a chance, grab hold of it. And yeah. really do. Because it won't come again necessarily. How old were you uh, roughly about then? 20, so you, yeah. 21. And you were. Uh, oh, hang on, sorry. That's, uh, let me think. No, yeah, that's about right. About yeah. 20, 21. Yeah. And I assume you were saying yes to everything because had you moved out of home at this point? And were... um, yes, I was still in a flat in Wimbledon by then, little place. But um, it was a very competitive room. You know what I mean? Everyone wanted a job on the newspaper and it, it kept everybody on their toes. And everybody I worked with pretty much has moved on to other places. Some of them are running websites, some of them are working on newspapers, some of them are on the radio. Um, so it was a competitive little place. Yeah, how, how long were you going through the okay, agency? So Pete, in my actual in that room, next to me was Mark DeMuth, who is now the head of ITB 
sports. Peter Drury was the commentator. God love him. We used to hammer him. <laughs> we used to make him do the uh, uh, cricket because none of us wanted to do the cricket. <laughs> he ended up being a great football commentator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex Mink was there. He does uh, Daily Mirror. So there, there a lot of and some of them went into the stats sort of departments. They became sort of you know, those anorexics that really drive a, a commentary. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I mean it's uh, it's still a competitive process now, but I can imagine with I can imagine because there are less outlets back then, especially for well-paid jobs, it was probably even more competitive and people were trying to... Uh, was it friendly or was it just... Oh, uh, friendly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely was. Absolutely. You're a little team. Yeah. I mean, it, we laughed at each other's failures and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and mistakes, but the, the golden ticket for haters, you see, was they had good relations with all the newspapers and they would byline you. So that was literally your name up in lights at that age particularly. And also, yeah. you got known. So... I'd ring the Daily Mirror, something crazy had gone on at Crystal Palace, and they'd ordered six paragraphs, for instance, and it's it's a massive brawl and everything. I ring, I talked to a guy called Bob Blair, who was still there when I went to the Mirror later, and I said, I'll give you 22 pars, byline. He went, deal. So the next day you've got the back page lead. Wow. So that that was the kind of environment. It was very competitive, but... Good. It was good good competitive. Yeah, and were you commuting all over the country and uh, all over Europe, perhaps, just following British teams? Yeah, well, I I got, because I was a little little kid, I got Norwich. Everyone (laughs) thought that wasn't going to be interesting. Of course, they went on to beat Bayern, went on to Inter Milan. Um, So this is mid-90s, am I right? Yeah, Yeah, something like that. Yeah, if my memory serves me right. Yeah, Yeah. Chris Sutton was in the team, yeah. Yeah. I remember Chris there. Uh, yeah, so it was great. But again, all fantastic. Sometimes you mucked it up and the office would help you out. But no, you, as a general rule, you take the, and grasp that opportunity. Uh, how long were you at Haters for? Uh, I went to the Express Group. It was a much bigger and better paper back then. And I ended up being a sports editor, so it went OK. And then originally it was the Sunday Express and they gave me a column as well, which was a bit of a shock. And that makes you think about things a little bit more. And then they merged the newspapers Sunday and the Daily Express. It was the, that was the start of that kind of uh, stuff going on. I mean, Sunday working for a Sunday Express was great fun. And was this was, still, still is this still sport? Uh, yeah. It was at the test. It was then delivering one newspaper a week was just yeah. the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> as long as you had something good at the end of the week, it was okay. I, I think I often think about that because um, yeah, for people who work at the the Daily Edition like the Times versus the Sunday Times and the same with the Express, you, you might think you got it. You got the tougher option, right? Or it's maybe- all changed now. It, back then, yes, completely right. Mm-hmm. Because the, the first port of call for a breaking news was either television news or <laughs> the front page of a newspaper popping up at, at whatever time of night. Now it's 24 hours, there's no point. There's no, there's no, every line is blurred. There's a, there's a pretense about the Sunday Times being different, but it won't be different. They just mix, mm-hmm. mix a few different columnists and faces. It's, it's all becomes the same operation. And you could go missing. I mean, you could literally go missing for a while and then pop up. You can't now because this was, <laughs> this was early for mobile phones. You, it's a 24-hour rolling industry all the time. Mm-hmm. It, and it's, de- it's devalued some of the big things, like the big breaking story doesn't happen, doesn't really happen in newspaper terms. No, it, you're absolutely right. I remember um, just watching even TV. Newspapers were a focal point Driver, of, yeah. of the news. And, uh, you know, I, I, even as something, this is going to be so, like, lowbrow. But, like, watching uh, The Big Breakfast and they were doing, like, 
the puns from the sun or the mirror or something like that and that was that was a focal point of the show now newspapers are kind of like you know a Sunday morning chat on Sky Sports you know when you just you just, like the newspapers say this but um, people are on Twitter now aren't they oh it was it was war in mm. newspaper terms it was war the, the mirror and the sun the express and the mail today newspaper were in there as well oh I forgot I went to today newspaper <laughs> I got the chronology wrong well I, I, I was going to say so you're it's just sorry about that no it's alright <laughs> luckily it's defunct so they can't get <laughs> upset so you, about it you went from freelance to uh, I went from haters sports a- agency which wasn't freelance but essentially it was, it was right, yeah, right. country but yeah, yeah. to today sorry I forgot about that <laughs> which was again a really fantastic place to go because it was new and it was fresh and loads of people there were trying to uh, how did build you, something. How did you find the difference between haters and then t- into an institution? Or maybe today wasn't. Oh, today wasn't. No, no, today was brand new and, right. and kind of fresh and a bit experimental. So, no, it was, it was perfect. It was a good place to learn. A lot of good people there as well. Some of them are famous. I won't name check them, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so, like, then you went from there and then yeah. you obviously built... Your reputation is growing then. Your CV is being built upon. And then the Express is... Uh, was it today a national paper? Oh, well? yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it then, was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the first colour newspaper. Was it really? Yeah. And right. uh, Eddie Shah, and then the Murdochs uh, bought it and closed it, but I'd left by then because I'd seen the the axe in the, in the, on the horizon. Uh, that was only because of, I think it was about printing. And then basically that made the daily, oh, if you want to get really <laughs> weird about it, 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 what happened is that you, they by closing today newspaper, they handed the Daily Mail this massive pool of of, of uh, newspaper buyers it was just yeah. really the weirdest thing anyway yeah so, so in your in your life at that point when when you let's just go back to when you started express because you talked about that you like were you like focused on being a journalist then at that point were you like okay, okay this is this is my career this is exactly what i want to do for the rest of my life in terms of working oh i'd write that a long time ago oh, okay as so, soon as i started yeah. at the david dimbleby's place I, was, I knew this is what i wanted to do and writing it was something that you, writing was what i yeah. enjoyed mostly yeah, yeah. And, and could you foresee because obviously now you're on tv you're on radio you're on, you're on a podcast um obviously you couldn't foresee a podcast but did you see a, a varied career at that point or were you just like oh, i'm just gonna no gonna, i didn't think about it that deeply I and mean, i just grabbed whatever just, was passing if it. it was good kept kept doing it listen when i went to today i was a, a, a reporter and i could write then when I went to the Express, they gave me a platform to do columns and things like that, which then helped me move to the mirror. So again, I know everything felt like a step up. So I was enjoying it. And writing was what I really loved to do. Yeah. Uh, and when I was there, I won the columnist award and it was good for me. And it gave me sort of a bit of bit more traction with other things and that helped help me move on to the other stuff like fighting talk etc etc yeah because um i'm just like your wikipedia is just a, like a, a who's who well a, a what what of uk journalistic institutions but so but you were <laughs> Sorry, uh, hang on. Yeah. because when we were used, used to do fighting talk on bbc people would just go in and, and <laughs> vandalize it for, just for laughs you know? so you went on the playboy channel that's not that's not <laughs> well, true yeah. <laughs> i think there's an nda somewhere <laughs> yeah uh, but what i i suppose what i'm asking is that there's a, it, this may or may not be true but you were primarily a, a football slash sports writer and then you went to news did you go to the mirror and then you i uh, went to the mirror sports editor as a sports yeah. editor because you ended up being the editor i ended up being a, they call acting editor so because because when matey boy got fired i took over but i was deputy editor for 
for far too long. Far too um, <laughs> let me think. I was deputy editor for about four or five years, and it was okay. You said Matey Boy. It's a bit of context. Like this is Piers Morgan now, kind of an infamous uh, media character who's. Um, let's just say got a certain quite controversial, but he, he was fired because he published some doctored photos. Am I right in thinking that? It's like the, yeah, uh, from the, from the yeah. Iraq war. Well, not doctored, they were staged. They were staged, sorry. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, but, yeah. they were staged. Yeah. Yeah. You were at the, the Mirror and you were an acting editor. What, what was that like stepping into that chair? Was it? Well, if you're deputy editor for a few years beforehand, it's not a massive leap it just means you've got more of the blame for those following weeks but it was a weird time anyway because it was the newspaper became a st- the story but not in a not in a good way mm-hmm. so it wasn't the happiest time of my life but lots of amazing experiences and I would given the chance I'd probably think about doing it again but probably not mm-hmm. <laughs> I suppose like as a as a journalist lots of people are reading what you're writing anyway you know you're you're in the media, people are going to pay attention to what you say. But I, I have a feeling that that role in particular is a certain type of intensity to it, I can imagine. Are you are you suddenly being asked to be on TV and, you know, you're being interviewed by other newspapers, other TV shows, other radio shows? Yeah, there's all that. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I thought it was a bit like... Um... Lord of the Rings 2. So, uh, so it starts with a sword fight, ends with a sword fight, but you're in the middle. It never stops. At least as Lord of the Rings 1, that's fine. It starts, and at least the other one finishes. You're just stuck in that middle of constant squabble. Some, there's always something going wrong, something going right. Everyone's excited. Everyone's down in the dumps. There's something, some challenge. Every single day was... It was incredibly draining and exciting at the same time, and... Sometimes it was exhilaratingly good, and sometimes it was not so good. But I, I, I enjoyed it. How long did that last for? What? That that role when you were... Well, at the I, 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 two. I mean, we had arguments and things like that, so we left. But I, 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 over the seven, eight years I was there, it was, it was, it was a great experience. That's, that's quite fun. a long time, though, in terms oh, yeah. of being a, a place like the Mirror. I did get offered a job when I was... I did get a... <laughs> um, let me let me rephrase it. <laughs> I turned down the job because I, I wasn't happy with. I was going to leave to go to another place, and uh, I didn't fancy the politics of the particular place. Mm-hmm. So I, I changed I changed tack. Ended up picking up a newspaper column that Ian Wooldridge used to have OBE. He was a fine writer, and he'd been there for all time. And uh, I ended up doing that. So I went back into sport through that, and then carried on doing the, the radio. Was that Daily Mail? Yes, two thousand four. Yeah. So uh, that must have been not a leap, but in terms of the intensity of the job, it freed me up to do other things yeah. that I enjoyed, as opposed to yeah. Uh, and I did enjoy a lot of things in the mirror, but it was there were, there were lots of things that were right and wrong with it. But it was great fun. But the change was good for me. It made give it gave me more options to be able to do other things, to to go into radio, go into other bits and bobs and things. Yeah, because I, I, tell me like your typical day at the mirror as a acting oh. editor versus you know a sports oh, columnist at the Daily Mail. There wasn't really a, a typical day, other than that it flaming started early and finished ridiculously late. You'd get the first editions at about ten o'clock in the evening, and then you would continue to check and change, but. 
I mean, it's like, listen, it was great. I enjoyed it. Someone who's quite naive when it comes to the process of making a newspaper, is it literally just seeing a, a, an edition and then just saying, I want this there, I want that there, I want this person to write something about this? Well, Constantly the tweaking? Or part of that, but it needs to be... No, it is, if it's good, it's a more creative process. There's more planning going into it, but you react to events and the design and the projection and the, the tone is very important. All of these com- things come into play. It's not just... Back- Actually, sometimes it feels like that, but more particularly with the uh, with the, the broadsheets and the, the, you know, t- the Daily, Daily Telegraph can draw a graph at the start of the day and you know their blocks mm-hmm. are going to go in and you mm-hmm. can probably just drop them in. Mm-hmm. But with particularly with a, a paper like the Daily Mirror, it had, it had to have a bit of attitude, a bit of bit of something something that wasn't like the sun yeah it's they, yeah. So a yeah. little bit of that and if it's a good newspaper in a good tabloid newspaper it has to be a, a very subjective call you have to have and to be, to be fair we're not great friends me and uh, mr morgan but at least you know he made a call you, you have to be to drive a newspaper like that you have to make the call you can't listen to the 400 people who think you know better you, you have to decide, I know better, and this is what we're going to do. And that's, that's the way it is. So the, the best tabloid newspapers are essentially subjective, or some of the worst as well. Mm-hmm. I could think of a few examples of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's for another podcast, maybe. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> with, with that as well, were you writing at that point? Yeah, I'm still well? doing stuff. Still doing stuff. But not much. It's too much going on. It doesn't. You actually it affects your work, so it's easier to clear some of it out of the way, so you can focus on the real job. And did you miss not writing? Oh, I did miss it, but you know, you still have to do the job. Yeah. So the, you push the things that get in the way. Yeah. And you give yourself a bit of time to not have a heart attack at the age of forty-two. <laughs> well, I suppose it's being a bit like a like a managing director or a CEO being in the editor. No, it's been no. it's been it's much worse. Yeah. CEO and MD, they're they're. All they're characterised and all they're judged by is the number. Mm-hmm. No, that doesn't happen. You, you get all of that if you're in charge of a newspaper. You're, it's design, it's staff, it's... The, we'll get uh, Private Eye will give you six paragraphs about the chief executive of such and such had got a £1 million pay rise while 24 jobs are, are gone. But you're the guy who's going to have to tell those 24 people to go and the paper has to be creative and competitive every day. A financial market's fine, but the real market, the mm-hmm. tabloid market is cutthroat, and, and, that's the end. and it's much more challenging. So tell me about, like, obviously, with the mirror, what was your personal situation? Had you moved out of the flat then in South uh, London? I was living South in London. central London. Central London. Yeah, just because it was in and out. I, I actually lived in Canary Wharf for a little while, but that was sucking the soul out of me <laughs> but then you went to the daily mail where you uh, yep. according to my research slash wikipedia you stayed for 10 years because a, well i did a, a column for 10 years did so i didn't i, didn't, years, I right? didn't have to they'd give me the odd special to do and things like that but i was essentially a columnist but that let me that allowed me to do other things so that was once one column a week one a week yeah i think it was it might have been two for a little while but it was one a week and then you do some special stuff and, and then the Olympics and blah, 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 the, yeah. the big events. And that was fine. And it was great. It was good. Uh, again, it, as I said, it opens doors to other things. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back. This is Something in Media. I'm Dave Maguire. And we're listening to the story of how Des Kelly became one of the country's best known sports journalists. Before the break, Des talked about how his career progressed through the ranks of the newspaper world. And now we hear how he transferred his skills into the world of TV. You started starting inching your, your way into the, into the world of television. 
Uh, or, or that started before that oh, point? No, a little bit. A little I, well, I did, I did a programme called Inside Sport on BBC One with Gabby Logan and Steve Bunce. That's what I was getting at, yeah, yeah. 2007. Bunce, yeah, that was, that was great. Uh, that was, I got Arsene Wenger's first one-to-one interview. Did a piece for the Champions League final with Petr Cech and uh, he remember he'd had his head stolen, but so I um, got him to bring out his x-rays and everything which he'd never done before and he was talking all about it before and so, so I had a fantastic time there it was a great great opportunity it really ch- it was a little changer for me it was nice how but, did that come about then I just well, I got a phone call oh really did you have an agent <laughs> at that point or was it just uh, yeah just straight direct and was that well uh, I, was, I was doing BBC Five Live mm-hmm. and yeah I, I, can't, I can't remember the, actually the process how I got the job but um, it was it, it was offered and it worked. I think I went yeah. to a pilot. I went to a pilot mm-hmm. and I think there were three or four people who went to a pilot. And Obviously. Was it on BT Sport? No, it was on, no, no, no. It was on BBC One. BBC One. Yes. Sorry, it was sorry. a 10.30 gig at on the Beeb. That was, that was tremendous. I think I had three series out of it and that was good. And about the same time I was doing BBC Fighting Talk and that, that's an entirely different kind of show and that gave you different opportunities because you could take the... You could take some of the jokes and opinion into broadcast, mm-hmm. and that's that was what I loved about fighting talk. You could be opinionated. You could try and be funny. Sometimes you weren't. <laughs> sometimes you were. Sometimes it was an Ofcom complaint. Either way, <laughs> it was uh, it was a sparky show back then. I really enjoyed doing it, and it was um, and it's still going. It's still going. It had how can we put it? It's, it's been muzzled a little bit, but that's just the times we were in. And it's probably <laughs> probably quite a sensible thing to do, <laughs> considering some of the things yeah. that we had. Um, I'm, I remember getting quite a lot of complaints about one joke that I'm really, really would be unable to re- repeat now. But it was <laughs> it was essential listening, and it was winning Sony awards, and and to have that opportunity to do that kind of uh, pla- to have that kind of platform gave me chances to do other things. So then I got offered by Talksport to do a weekly show, and they rang me and said, "Do you want to do the six two eight on a Sunday?" And I said, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, you, you can." We'll leave it to you, right? So, so I, there was no one telling me what to say, no one telling me what it had to be called, no one telling me. I, I could even pick the flaming theme tune. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that. It was great. Yeah. So in terms of talk sport and going into TV, like around forties, something like that. For, oh God, I Oh no, it must have been younger than that. Younger, you were definitely <laughs> younger than that. Let's say thirty. But the reason I suppose that the, the reason I asked the previous question was because you get to a certain level of no notoriety where people suddenly know your name they oh, understand yeah, you yeah. Uh, and you were doing radio tv and journalism uh, written journalism as well is that something you started to consciously start to mix up and enjoy no I, I, that seems like i've been thinking when really <laughs> as opposed to doing uh, yeah. what happens was with the talk sport became difficult when i joined bt because there were so many foreign trips so when the champions league kicked in Suddenly, I, I had to fly, fly on the Sunday night instead of the Monday, and I'd be yeah, that. That sort of clash happens, and it, but that's that was all. Everything yeah. I enjoyed doing it. It was great because we talk sport. That was pre News UK acquisition, yes. wasn't it? So, did you have a bit more room to probably? But I haven't, yeah. I haven't done the show for them. No, but you're, st- you're still on occasionally, aren't you? Like occasionally, every, yeah. now, and I, every I, now and again. Yeah, well, the, again, it, it's a diary thing. I have been asked to, to do some stuff, and I do the odd bit. Next season is always new opportunities but it is just basically scheduling i think because yeah. it becomes difficult i enjoy i enjoyed talk sport and they were good and it's it can be competitive and i 
but I like to do a certain type of show. And if it fits in with the pattern of what they're doing now, I, I think it probably would. What, what is that type of Same show? sort of conversational style, mm-hmm. not necessarily chasing headlines or, or clicks as it is now, isn't it? So I, I, would, I, I think some of the stuff, I, yeah, no, it's always been that. It's always been that. So Talk Sports has a tabloid base, but there are parts in, the, in that schedule that are different, and I like the ones that are different. I like people like Paul Hawksby, who's just got a great sense of humour and he's, he keeps things rolling along and he's got a good, good brain and he does Harry Hill scripts and all those kind of things. So, you know, he's, he's, he's fun. So I like those kind of shows. So you can have a bit of a laugh and you can explain things to people or find out things about people. So the show I used to do would be how the hell did this newspaper piece appear here or how did they get okay. this story? How And those are the kind of things that people, they, they liked it. Well, I mean, <laughs> and I'm more interested in that than just saying that so-and-so's got to be fired, hasn't he? Yeah. He's got to go. I mean, he's just got to go. I can only take one of those. I <laughs> can't do that. I yeah. remember doing one with, um, when it used to be called Talk Radio, it just reminded me, I was doing it with Gary Newborn. God, oh, love wow, it. Okay. Newborn. And <laughs> I just, it was it was one of those four hour phone ins of yeah, yeah, yeah they're going to win tonight. Yeah, oh, gonna, I'll tell you. Yeah, so why are they going to win tonight? Oh, I don't know. I just I just know they're going to win, and I just wanted to shoot myself in the face. I was thinking there's three three hours of this. Oh man! <laughs> For, so I'd like to do something just something that's flipping entertainment. Yeah, else. not pod, not pompous, not preachy. Just tell us something. Have a laugh. Give me an anecdote. Give me something interesting so I can repeat to my mates or something just to leave the flipping radio on. <laughs> oh, I, 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 just, I just know they're going to win 3 now. <laughs> well, as someone who used to work at 606, yeah. I can, I can <laughs> empathise with that. Oh, you know, writing articles, being in charge of newspapers, there's a, there's a different types of intensity compared to if the red light goes on in a radio studio or a TV studio. Did you find it natural? No, I shit myself for the first time. <laughs> it's no problem. It's, you're meant to be nervous. Yeah. If, you're, if you walk out into the middle of the pitch and at the end of the Champions League final, you are aware that you're in unusual territory. And you're but hard- I, think, I think it takes a skill, though, because you, well, you're... It's, it's, it takes fear, conquering fear, and then relaxing into it. The first time you do it, it's, what the hell am I doing? I'm in the pitch! I'm Oh my God! I'm on the pitch. Why are we on the pitch? It's, yeah. it's, uh, well, that, that's terrifying. There's that 10 million people watching, whatever it is. But of, of course, it's yeah. The first time it's quite sphincter tightening, but you, you get used to it. Because now I think it's quite normal to see pundits on the pitch when you're watching football, Sky. BT, you know, whatever you're watching on Eurosport, it will be on, you know, the, the, there'll be three pundits on the sidelines, sometimes literally on the pitch. Yeah. But it, I think you were pretty much one of the first people to, to do it, though, and becoming quite a... Going at the end. The, the pre-match is all calm. Post-match is chaos. And that's yeah. what I, I like the chaos because it means it's not going to be the same old our three points today. I'm very glad we got it. You want something that just... That's why I like doing it on the pitch because you get the kind of buzz from fans. You can play off them. Things go wrong. The thing When things go wrong, it's actually... Well, not technically wrong, but if somebody says something they shouldn't say, it's like swear on air and all that kind of stuff, that's, that's all part of the colour and it makes it more real. And I, I like those. Yeah. I, I, I watched a clip of you, I think it was after the Liverpool Champions League win and you were on the pitch and you had I don't know if it's you or your producer had collared Salah 
uh, Firmino and um, no, 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 no producer says that. No, no, no. I don't get told that. I don't get told anything in my ear other than cue Des and wrap it up if you can. All right, and and sometimes I ignore that as well. <laughs> but I don't get. I don't get that. They were celebrating. Yeah, they were celebrating. Let them go. Yeah, the, the Liverpool. Well, yeah, there's this sort of. It, it makes. I, it worked well on the night, for instance. So all I could. You're say you're facing me, and we're doing an interview. I know that the Liverpool players are running past us or about to. So I just. Let let them go with him and I said we'll call them back to be fair I'd actually grabbed Jordan Henderson in the semi-final and we did an interview time which I probably should have let him go and enjoy himself and come back so I was conscious of that mm-hmm. in the final that's simple to say it's just a bit of common sense and you'd and just Gary, Gary Lineker picked it up and made it work because he could have just been eating his sandwich while I'm doing the interviews and suddenly I throw back to him, no, and he picked it up perfectly. It was great. And the director followed it on the spider cam. And so they all had to make that. I've said, right, I'm going to off. You come back to us. Don't worry about this because they were coming like the red arrows. And if those two had messed it up i would have looked terrible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah they were so sharp it made it. great television yeah, though. Good, yeah. yeah because it's such a big moment and i think watching that again on it was on on youtube but watching it again you still had the same sense that as a viewer you're you're in it so much more than if you're up in in the in the gallery with and if Gary. i'd stop them when they all run past in the background that they'd all be celebrating and i'd be talking to them <laughs> and you know they don't want to be there so it's much more fun they did come back thankfully if yeah. they hadn't come back that would have been a disaster <laughs> <laughs> no yeah they did but like you going onto the pitch at literally uh, full time was that your idea no it's it's just a it's just the way it is it, the first time i did it i had to share it Back in the UEFA Champions League days, you had to share a camera with four, three other different broadcasters from different countries. Oh. That's horrendous. You have to get pointy elbows there. I can remember trying some guy trying to pull the plug out of the camera because I was tr- spending too long with Gareth Bale, that kind of nonsense. But, you know. I'm, really? I'm, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It can be, can be quite brutal. In, in, the, in the interview section, in the tunnel, for instance... Right, so we'll finish the pitch first. You walk out onto the pitch. If you feel like you're stepping on ice, you know, and it's going to come, you're going to fall straight through in the cracked ice. And that, but that's exciting. In the tunnel, it's quite oppressive. So it's it's a little bit like um, a battery, battery hen situation. So, but you're you're the host broadcaster, so I will usually get the first interview with all the anger, all the emotion. Sometimes incomprehensible, sometimes good, sometimes really bad, you know, but it's there and you've got all the emotion. And it's if you're in the tunnel, there's people buzzing around and there's loads of other broadcasters in the Champions League, for instance, you know, so to be all the, all the countries you'd expect, but they're further and further down the line. So when you start the interview, there's people pulling you, there's people poking, there's, there's people tr- trying to cut the interview off, all this kind of... So you have to... I couldn't quite get my head around it because I, I, my personality would be to tell people to what to do, but you have to kind of... You have to do that, but you have to focus on what you're doing. You can't get involved in too many too many rows. I mean, I've had a few, yeah. some good ones. Yeah. Oh, but, so you, were you only aware of that when you started working? Working in TV, I'd, did never you know done, that I'd never done the tunnel no. routine. No, so when was, you were haters, you oh, weren't there. Oh no, no, no. When I went in first time, it was like all new to me. Not necessarily good either. You felt really exposed and on your own. Yeah, because I suppose football's such a huge business these days. It's um... well, yes, and when you haven't been in that environment, you, you. Colin Montgomery is a golfer. Okay, I remember. I remember this. I was waiting to interview him at the Open, and I must be from here to the house across the street, so 50 yards away, 
let's say, and I'm waiting at a barrier here, leaning, waiting for him to, to finish his practice. And at the back of his swing, he just stopped and went, I'll be 20 minutes. And I was thinking, how did he even notice me? So that was part of his thing. He noticed everything wow. around him. I kind of do the same thing. I'm always seeing people, faces and, and thinking, trying to read the room. You can't do that in that interview. You literally have to stop it like blinkers on and, and just make, don't get involved with this guy. I, we were in um, we we're in Italy. Manchester City were away, so I'll narrow it down that much. So And uh, a car walk out to go in goal because keeper got sent off. So I get into the flash position. Kyle's good fan, I like him. I can't remember who's alongside him. I've had two people on the boards and we're chatting away. And the UEFA guy says, no, you can't start, you can't start. You can only, you can only have one player. I said, no. He said, we can do one after the other. I said, no, no, that takes double the time. We'll do two. And he said, these Italians pull me off the microphone and out. So I then have a little altercation, like Harry Kane last night, (laughs) hand to the face. (laughs) And anyway, as that happens, they go, right, Des, cue Des. (laughs) I'm I'm still struggling. And Carl Walker's face is open-mouthed as we start. So right now, he's got a face on. It's just for a a couple of seconds. It's it's a bit of a bundle sometimes. It's a bit of... it does get a little bit aggressive, but not often. But there is always something around that changes things. There's noises and people crashing in and out and pulling you. And there's always that. And Champions League final, um, City-Chelsea won. That was carnage. That was at the end because it was sort of COVID, but it wasn't. And everyone was climbing on top of everybody else. And it was it was mayhem. Brilliant. Yeah. But I, I, I have very I had very little control over what was being said or done it was just chaos and it was kind of fun but it's a bit stressful yeah yeah I, I can imagine it's, it must be stressful you're there when you know you're you're talking to these players some are media managed some aren't as as much yeah. and you kind of you're you're there right at the heart of it but you have to frame it in a way which is you know seven seven eight o'clock at night for for uk viewers family might be watching and yeah i always a- do the exp- i do the yeah offcom <laughs> we're sorry about the language <laughs> thing it's a bit late now it's not it's not it's not eight o'clock actually it's the it's, it's the the true sort of ruling is that the expected audience so if kids don't go to bed at eight o'clock when the champions league's on they, they go on to eight ten thirty so you have to be aware of that that's the audience it's just the available audience or the likely audience but oh yeah the swearing and but i like all that see people don't know this the things that happened like the at that final we weren't allowed to use the same microphone because of COVID. post-covid blah 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 and of course that he <laughs> Um, the players would walk away from the, the actual microphone they're meant to be using. So you're talking, they're not talking, or I'm not talking because I've got to, it was just chaos. But I think the chaos is what people like. Well, I, I definitely think in the age of you know social media and um, uh, you know transparency, that kind of um, let's say authenticity is probably more entertaining because people understand that it's not you know you, you are real people working in a real. Uh, harsh environment especially sport as well with such a, a circus that follows it sometimes everyone's comes in with the blood still pumping mm-hmm. and it's like you can mm-hmm. see it yeah. anger celebration and to capture that it's pretty much the job do you think when you look at your career now and you look at your <laughs> that, that sounds like i'm That's very say, foreboding <clears throat> no one go on. that sounds like i'm going to say something terrible but i'm not i'm promise uh do you do you pinch yourself because yeah a lot of people would would say that you have their dream job i mean you get to 
not only watch I've football, had all, you're all on the pitch. Of, all of them have been dream jobs. I've, you know, I've had some amazing experiences. For Formula One, I've had some amazing experiences. And Formula One? Well, covering it and then getting involved in it. And so I was, I was in a, the world's first Formula One double-seater. So I was with Alonso. And those kind of things come along, uh, that, that you get an opportunity to do something and you just, wow, really? Okay. You know, like I said, if you get an opportunity, the policy pretty much is, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll try and do that. Could you strike me as someone that is still very much enjoying your job, the fact that you work in sport, you, you seem to take it in a good humour and uh, understand... I can be, I can be honest, I swear, I can be right grumpy if it's going wrong. Honestly, you can ask the crew. I'm cra- I can be crouchy in a, in a bad way. Grouchy. <laughs> but no, I, I don't take myself too seriously. I mean, this sounds ridiculous because I'm talking about my career with you for an hour. <laughs> I don't overthink it. I, I want to do it well. I, I, I like the control that I have... To, to do it the way I like to do it. Uh, if somebody said you can't do that, I probably wouldn't be enjoying it so much. Um, but I think what it, it, just, it just feels like it works. So try and keep it that way. Dream job, yeah, but I've, I've always felt I had a dream job. If I was in charge of the, of the Daily Mirror sports sections, it's like, wow, okay, this is great. It all, all, always felt that way. And I've never taken it for granted. Uh, I've never done anything but appreciate the opportunities I have. And I'm very conscious I've been a very lucky boy. Is there anything you want to do that you haven't done? Um, that's a good question. No is is not the right answer because obviously I want to do something else. But there is, I don't feel I've missed out on anything. If I've had a radio show, I've had a telly show, 136 episodes of random sort of mayhem. Some of the funniest things were in the early days of BT Sport, we did things. So I interviewed Harry Redknapp on stage, but through a door because he always was interviewed. So we built a, <laughs> built, we built a Skoda wind car into his chair and did, and, and, and every t- so he had to wait, bear in mind there's a live audience there, he had, he had to wait till I wound the window down before we allowed him to talk. And then we started to, and the other, what was the other one? The other one was, well, there was many, there was one, there were many, but the other one I remember was we got Emil Heskey in, Rachel Riley was there. There's a, ta- there's a panel at the top anyway. And it was the fact that he couldn't score. So this phrase was, you couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo. So obviously we dressed up the, one, of the, one of the interns as a cow, full with others, then got a banjo, put it in front of the stage and challenged Esky to hit, to hit the cow with the banjo. He said, what, really? I said, don't worry, he's on the minimum wage, it doesn't matter. That had me, they, they dragged me into human HR department to tell me off about that. Anyway, it was live as well. Yeah. And, uh, and hit to it? hit didn't break. So I said, no, hit him harder, which brought me another HR complaint. And he hit in the top of the banjo, flew through the air, past Rachel Riley's head. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine what that would have... That got something like half a million views at the, at the time. And it was... I think Jimmy Kimmel was only ahead of us in the, in the, in the uh, YouTube stakes. But uh, it's probably been taken off now because it was a little bit one of those days where it could have gone wrong, but, God, it was funny. Oh, wow, yeah. So, so we had some great time at the start. And then when you get into the... But that was a sort of sideshow. And then to be put into the the main event it's a it's a great privilege what's the thing you're most proud of in terms of what's the best thing you've produced do you think does anything stand out (laughs) 
<laughs> no, they're all equally bad. It, it's a bit too navel gazy. I, I can't do. I can't talk about anything with BT because there's loads of things I like about that and some that I don't. But there are loads of things that I'm really proud of. Winning the Columnist Award early-ish days in my career, that was a, a big boost for me and I was very proud of that because the other contenders were uh, Michael Parkinson, Hugh McIlvenny, James Lawton, who's a legend, and Patrick Collins. So they were they're all big guns and I was, I was glad to... That was, that was a good night. I celebrated. I was actually taking the award home it was like the size of this sort of ipad pro thing it was a certificate and it had a big golden frame around it and i'm quite three sheets to the wind should we say and i've got my got my um, certificate in framed in my jacket it was cold and i was walking down to leicester square station and this bloke got a knife out and said give me that and i went what i said give me Give me the award. He didn't know it was an award, sorry. Give me what you've got in your coat. So I gave it to him and I said, it's my, it's my, it's my certificate. He went, oh, no, here you go, you can have it back. <laughs> it wasn't even good enough to mug, but I'm very proud of it. <laughs> Des Kelly and how he became something in media. How did Des carve out such an amazing career? We'll get further insights from our in-house careers advisor via our website at somethingin.media, where you can glean a deeper understanding of what it takes to make it in the media and even an opportunity to book a one-on-one session. You'll also find a newsletter sign up via our website. Something In Media is a stable production. And if you enjoyed listening, please follow us by pressing the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think somebody may benefit by listening to these types of stories, please do let them know where to find us. 